Welcome to Securing America with me, Frank Afney, the program that's a kind of owner's manual for protecting the country we love against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to the glory of God and his kingdom. I am very pleased to be able to say that there seems to be a growing sense of awareness, if not downright fear, about a problem that we've been talking about on this program for a number of months now. Uh, I don't want to make it sound as though I'm happy that people are fearful or happy that people are now becoming engaged, but we need engagement on the matter of what appears to be the insertion by the Chinese Communist Party's People's Liberation Army of thousands, possibly many tens of thousands of military-aged, unaccompanied Chinese men across principally our southern border, but I believe to some extent the northern one as well. A man who has addressed this issue very recently at the Gateway Pundit is our first guest, a friend, a colleague, uh, a comrade in arms, a distinguished veteran of the United States Army who rose through the ranks to uh, the exalted uh, position of a colonel in the special operations community. He is a man who also served his country as a senior executive in the Defense Department, the National Security Council, the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, he has a specialization in cyber warfare, and we're going to be talking with him about that a bit. But the implications, as our guest Colonel John Mills has pointed out in Gateway Pundit, of having a no-kidding invasion by an enemy army, it appears, uh, is hard to overstate the importance of it, so I am glad that we have seen his contribution to this matter, as well as others now becoming increasingly alive to the need, not only to recognize the problem, but to begin doing something about it. Colonel Mills, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate all that you do, my friend, notably as a member of our Committee on the Present Danger China, but particularly your expertise on the identification of these men and uh, the implications of what they might be able to do here. Talk to us about it, if you would. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Always an honor to be on your show with you. Uh, well, I think at this point in time, it's patently obvious that uh, uh, this is willful, intentional uh, China. I mean, I spent some time last fall with uh, Michael Yan and Ann Vandersteel in Panama to kind of observe and understand my, my angle and interest was the Chinese component uh, coming up through the Darien Gap. And it's uh, at this point in time, and you can, you know, some of them are just trying to escape this, the Chinese Communist Party. Hooray, good for that. We still, we still should secure our border. Uh, some are clearly economic refugees. Things are bad in China. Some uh, are not the best and brightest, okay? Maybe released convicts, okay? But some, and it, they really stand out. Anybody with good teeth, flat stomach, uh, military haircut, won't look you in the eyes. Yeah, I think uh, I'd want to pull them aside for further questioning. Um, so they, but they, let they, me ask you about that, John, because the Daily Caller uh, recently reported that not only are they not being subjected to a rigorous interrogation, but the Biden administration back in April of last year said, you know, shorten the interrogation such as it is uh, from 40 questions to just five, and they're pretty pro forma at that. Uh, again, you talked about willful. Uh, it's willful, presumably, on the part of the Chinese uh, to insert these guys, but is it also willful on the part of our government to allow them in here in large numbers? Well, this is one of several uh, core roles and missions of the federal government that the Biden team has chosen to abandon. And this is where the key role of, of states, uh, state governors, uh, constitutional sheriffs, this is the key role. We don't have a bo southern border at all right now. We don't. It just will bring them on through. Just absolutely. It's, it's, it's ludicrous to say and for Mayorkas, too, I mean, he is obviously uh, living on another planet, um, and it's... Uh, He's just lying, 
John. I think that's uh, an easier explanation. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 having worked with the Obama-Biden folks closely, uh, you, you've heard my third description there, they, uh, third caps. Uh, uh, Mayorkas is delusional. I mean, I, I mean, he's still lying, but he's delusional. And uh, I mean, the, uh, I think the definition of delusional when that person saying those things is the only one that believes those things. Everybody else knows it's patently, uh, patently uh, false. Uh, Mayorkas needs to be impeached immediately. Total failure. But this is across the board. It doesn't matter whether it's intentional, unintentional at this point in time. We have a federal government that has abandoned, abandoned key constitutional roles, such as the border. So. That's where we have to hammer them. Use state governors, use constitutional sheriffs, use the House. Uh, and we got, you know, Gallagher's vote against impeachment. I said, mark my words, mark my words. He is, he's going to announce retirement. And what did he do a few days later? He announced retirement. I said, anytime that happens in the swamp, that is a huge flag and indicator that they were, they would like to curry favor with Center for Strategic and International Studies, Atlantic Council, Council on They want to be a senior fellow at these places. It's a high-paying gig. And so, I mean, he abandoned, threw his principles out the window, a real shame. But that's the game, and that's the angle of the swamp. I'm, uh, I'm very concerned about that development, I have to say, John. But uh, just staying with a, a point that you've made now twice, uh, I, I was very impressed by an appearance that took place after um, the National Sheriff's Association met, I believe, here in Washington, D.C., and got briefings from, among others, FBI Director Christopher Wray um, and a sheriff from Butler uh, County in Ohio uh, by the name of Richard Jones um, did a press conference, uh, I believe, back in his uh, you know constituency. And it was one of the most impressive you know, assessments of where we are, what is being done to our country, the threat that it represents, and the need to address that threat directly. And uh, so I, I, I want to go through some of his specific comments with you, John, but just make this broader point about the importance of constitutional sheriffs in a time such as this, when we are watching the federal government abdicate completely its uh, its responsibility for border security and interior security, for that matter, as well. Well, in, until 2020, few, if any, realized the important role, foundational constitutional role of both the counties, the 3,300 or so counties in America, and the seven key positions. But one of the most important is the sheriff the sheriff, a constitutional sheriff, which is normally elected. Um, and uh, now they, they are foundational. This is the foundation of our constitutional republic. Now, you know, the, the White House and the, the elites and the globalists, they just mock and snicker at this hick, this hayseed, this rube, you know, who's talking about, you know, Butler County, Ohio. What does he know about anything? Well, he knows a lot more about the world than these globalists. And we have an existential immediate threat right where we live. Yeah. And, and John, and, we, we made this point rather, I think, powerfully in a webinar. This was one that you were not participating in. You've done so many of them, and I'm very grateful for that. But uh, our Committee on the President Danger China did last Friday, as it happens, a program about Xi's Pearl Harbor and that it's not you know, just um, something that they are preparing for. It is the plan. Uh, and one of the aspects of it is is directly in your wheelhouse, my friend, and that is the cyber warfare that the Chinese Communist Party can wage against us, uh, in addition to perhaps the old-fashioned kind with these special operators. Um, Sheriff Jones uh, spoke very powerfully about what's happening in Butler County, among other places. I think he said that his own... Uh, organization is under attack five times a day from yeah. Chinese cyber. Talk about that, man. That's amazing. Well, this has been a hugely important, and I've worked on some project to try to connect because Section 1088. John, I beg your pardon. We have to take a short break. We'll be right back okay. with Colonel Mills right after this.
This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Retired Special Operator and Army Colonel John Mills is among the latest to warn that military-aged unaccompanied Chinese males pouring across our borders are People's Liberation Army personnel. According to Butler County, Ohio Sheriff Richard Jones, the National Sheriff's Association meeting last week featured briefings indicating they're coming here to sow chaos. His conclusion is that, quote, we're under attack, unquote. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is facilitating the entry of more Chinese men into our country, and the U.S. Senate is refusing to join the House of Representatives in actually securing our border. With some Republican support, the Senate's Democrats are intent on pouring $60 billion more into Ukraine, while ignoring the fact that our own nation is literally being invaded. Those responsible for such malfeasance will ultimately be held accountable. But how many of us will pay with our lives before that happens? This is Frank Avenue. Welcome back. Colonel John Mills is in the house, the author of two really important books. One, The Nation Will Follow, the other, The War Against the Deep State. Born of uh, a lot of hard experience John has had inside the government, both in uniform as a colonel in the United States Army, now retired, as well as a senior executive service leader. Uh, in the, among other things, the cyber warfare policy space in the office of the Secretary of Defense. And, and John, I apologize. Uh, I threw a question at you and then um, immediately had to <laughs> say, hold the thought. Now I'm anxious to get your thought on uh, what it means that places like Butler County, Ohio, are being subjected to cyber attacks by the Chinese communists five times a day, according to the sheriff there, Richard Jones. Well, the county, again, is the foundation of our republic. Uh, one thing I've noticed under especially ransomware attacks is the focus on county uh, county networks. Uh, hey, Maricopa County, anybody here of Maricopa County? Anybody here of Fulton County? You know, Bucks Arizona, or Georgia. Uh, you know, we have Bucks County, uh, Pennsylvania. So um, this is a curious infatuation of the cyber threat with these counties. Why? Because they, they, their networks are rich in data and services and can be, sh and when you shut those down, you shut down a huge amount of the delivery of government services and throw it into question. Yeah. Um, and, also, and that apparently is being done. The sheriff talked about, you know, being reduced yeah. to paper for five weeks or something to, oh, that's uh, absolutely, to muddle absolutely. Through. I had a medical provider recently who went through a multi-month uh, ransomware situation. Um, so, so this is very real. But what's even more, uh, Section 1088 of the 2023 NDAA was a tabletop exercise authorization act. Yep, uh, a tabletop exercise on uh, Chinese attacks in case of conflict over China, uh, over Taiwan. Chinese attacks on domestic infrastructure. Department of Defense. Well, guess what? The Department of Defense is hugely dependent upon counties and cities that oftentimes are equivalent to counties uh, around their bases and base enclaves. They need power. They need water. They need, a lot, they, they need uh, information services, oftentimes which is primarily provided by the counties uh, they reside in. And the Chinese know this. So, I mean, Butler County may seem to be an obscure county, but even Butler County is demonstrating um, the uh, ferocious nature, five or five a day, who cares? No, that's, that's a big deal. Multiply that over a year. That's a lot. That poor little CIO, Chief Information Officer, or CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, which normally also stands for career is so over, um, they, are, they are getting beat up daily by foreign intrusions. And, and John, uh, one of the other things that uh, Sheriff Jones talked about was um, that the problem of physical security, security of the grid, security of other critical infrastructure, uh, is such that at this point, um, he says there are now safe houses for these uh, Chinese uh, nationals uh, in every state that um, the warnings that they're receiving are that these guys are, are here to sow chaos by attacking, among other things, uh, you know, infrastructure uh, and, and perhaps, uh, you know, the sheriff's 
ability to provide uh, the requisite law enforcement capabilities in time of a crisis like that. Um, he also said that one of the things that he's working on, and he's, he's very anxious, it sounds, to ensure that there's complementary efforts being taken by sheriffs elsewhere in the state, of course, of Ohio, but elsewhere too, presumably, to train citizens to help cope with the kind of crises that might arise if, uh, again, Chinese military personnel start uh, blowing things up or otherwise disrupting and wreaking havoc, as uh, Christopher Ray said, in our country. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Now, the, the Chinese, and, and uh, I have noticed their gravitation toward legal and, and uh, cannabis operations, which if, ladies and gentlemen, this is a hot button on our side of the ledger. If you support legal or even illegal, no, people are not growing cannabis legal anymore. They go bankrupt following the state uh, regulatory oversight guidelines. It's a high cash operation. They are gravitating toward these and taking them over because of the high cash nature, which can't be banked, and they can use these for further influence offer operations. Your latest crazy Palestinian. When you say they, you're you're talking about the Chinese here. Right? Yeah, yeah, the Chinese nationals, the illegal Chinese nationals, skim the cash, pay for 250 day to, for the Palestinian protesters, the transgender protesters, the BLM, the Antifa protesters. Well documented, 250 day. If you support cannabis, you are supporting chaos in our country. High cash operation can't be banked. And the, the Chinese on Chinese violence, I'm talking about illegal Chinese on illegal Chinese violence, is off the charts. They're killing each other, which is part of the CCP gamification of any of these uh, behaviors. That's what the China, CCP always does. They will have their own people kill each other to rise to the top to get the best of the breed. Yeah. So this but is John, is it also the case that this would be used against, say, uh, dissidents in our country oh, or, or oh, other yeah, well, populations of uh, Chinese expats who are, you know, they want to make sure they're going to do their duty and support okay. the motherland? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I got several examples of American citizens of Chinese descent uh, just, just a couple of days ago. They've not released the contractor name. He was working on sensitive ballistic missile early warning a program. They haven't released the contractor's name out of Los Angeles. I think I know who it is. Um, American citizen, Chinese heritage, was also getting money from the talent program. We've had two cases recently in Thousand the Navy. Thousand talents program, yeah, I yeah. think it's called, right? Yeah, and uh, two recent cases in the Navy. American citizens, Chinese uh, heritage. One of them, their mother was beating them over the head and shoulders to spy for the Chinese. How's that, Mom? Well, I mean, and, and John, I, I did want to ask you about one other aspect of this, uh, talk about law enforcement. Uh, the Chinese are estimated to have between five and I think as many as nine overseas Chinese police so-called service centers. Uh, they rolled one up finally. The FBI did uh, yeah. in New York City, yeah. I think, but there's yeah. still yeah. apparently others. And yeah. John, this their, is, per their purpose, as I understand it, is is to control that expat population and they and they get the families uh, on screen you know being threatened or even worse uh, mistreated by the chinese police or whatever yeah. back in uh, beijing uh, in china and you know it has a it has a very um, very important effect does it not oh absolutely that's all part of the plan the chinese police stations uh, intimidation. The FBI is, I think it's close to 40 indictments last year for intimidation of Chinese nationals, but it's all tied in to the paramilitaries, the special operators, the Chinese on Chinese violence, taking over legal cannabis to use the skim for cash, you know, and even at uh, Radio uh, Free Asia, you know, I helped root out one of the translators who was clearly a uh, Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese operative. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, then, uh, and then there's the problem of Chinese biolabs, which are probably here in some number as well. We know about the one in Reedley, California, that has been. But wait, up. there's more. There's, more. there's always a bonus feature but, with the uh, CCP infiltration. Yeah. yeah. John, I, I, I want to pause just for a moment because uh, there's one other topic that I want to touch on very quickly, and that is an executive order. It's It's been around for a bit, but I just wonder as a cyber guy, 
Um, what you make of the Biden's uh, efforts to have a, quote, responsible development of digital assets, by which I think they mean cryptocurrency. I've got all of 20 seconds here. Good idea, yeah. bad idea? I don't understand the crypto environment yet, and I've gotten a lot of data from a lot of sources. I still don't totally understand it. A lot of Chinese manipulation of it as an end around the dollar as the reserve currency. But there's also some potential goodness. The Biden executive order sounds nice, but what do you get when you get a blue executive order or directive? You get more of the same bad stuff or far worse negative consequences. Not least more government control. John Mills, thank you for all you do, my friend. Thanks for uh, most recently the war on the deep state. Come back to us with updates on all of this if you would. We'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Night after night, in cities across the country, black-garbed assailants clash with police in the streets, smash windows, and throw Molotov cocktails in an effort to destroy police stations, federal courthouses, and local businesses, all in the name of anti-fascism. Most Americans are now, sadly, all too aware of the movement known as Antifa. But where did they come from? What do they want? And how do we stop their campaign of violent mayhem? The Center for Security Policy Press is proud to present Unmasking Antifa, Five Perspectives on a Growing Threat. This new book looks at the history, ideology, organization, finances, and strategy of Antifa and provides an in-depth analysis for law enforcement officers, policymakers, and the general public. From street fighting tactics of the Black Bloc to fundraising by prominent left-wing foundations, Unmasking Antifa is the go-to guide to understand this elusive and dangerous threat. Get your copy of Unmasking Antifa, Five Perspectives on a Growing Threat at Amazon.com. back. And I'm delighted to say we have the editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, uh, JNS.org, as it is called, um, in the house today. His name is Jonathan Tobin. His colleague, Alex Treman, was with us yesterday. So we're, uh, we're going to make this, I hope, a regular feature of uh, Securing America to have uh, you and, of course, uh, your wonderful columnist, Carolyn Glick, with us uh, whenever we can. Uh, we appreciate so much what you do at JNS.org and uh, are delighted also to promote um, Top Story Podcast and Top Story Daily. Um, two of your other products, and you are also a contributor to The Federalist and a columnist uh, when you have, obviously, time heavy on your hands, Jonathan, for The New York Post, uh, for um, Newsweek, and for Haaretz in Israel. It's great no, to have no you taking a few minutes to up oh, yeah. scratch Haaretz. Yeah. It's great to have you with us. Welcome back, sir. Thanks so much. It's great to be back with you, Frank. I'm going to do um, a lightning round with you, Jonathan, because we don't have a lot of time, but a lot of things that I'm anxious to get your thoughts on. Um, the president is uh, boasting that there's a, a six-week ceasefire that is uh, imminent. Um, he's got uh, the CIA director, Bill Burns, over there as we speak, uh, negotiating on it with, uh, I guess, the head of Mossad. Um, what are the chances of this, and uh, is it advisable? Well, it's a terrible idea. Um, is it possible that it might happen? It might. Um, the United States has a lot of leverage over Israel um, because it can control the supply of ammunition. Israel gets much of its munitions um, from the United States um, by and you know waging war. You use up a lot of the ammunition, um, so they can turn off the spigot. That that it creates leverage. Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu also wants to free the hostages. That's one of the two objects of this war. There's enormous pressure. I can just tell you from being here, um, you know, the, the, the country is still sad, angry, frustrated over uh, what happened to their fellow citizens. Their pictures are everywhere. Um, this, is an, this is an enormous issue here. It's a minor con concern for Americans. It is the major issue. But at the same time, there is 
really near, you know, I'm not going to say unanimity, but enormous support for continuing the war from left to right. There is support for the object, for the objective of eliminating Hamas and a short ceasefire to free the hostages that Netanyahu would do, that he would have support to do, that he probably couldn't avoid doing. But a ceasefire that Hamas wants and that a Biden seems to be aiming for, which would end the war and end Biden's problems on his left flank, flank, flank with, uh, with the Democratic Party, that's something, is, that's something that Netanyahu can't do. And there is no support for that among Israelis either. Right. I talked with Carolyn Glick when she was here in the States last week, and she's, of course, as I mentioned, a columnist with you all and did a brilliant 11-count uh, indictment in JNS.org last week, I believe, about the efforts the United States government is making to subvert, uh, well, Israel, I believe, but uh, certainly the Netanyahu government. Uh, and And one of the things that they are trying to promote is this idea that the problem is Bibi. Yeah. Bibi doesn't want a ceasefire. Bibi doesn't want to uh, free the hostages. Bibi is, uh, you know, not in favor of a two-state solution. Just a level set for us, if you could, Jonathan, is is that actually true of most Israelis? No, it's not true of most Israelis. I think some, if if you were, as I was in, in Tel Aviv on Saturday night, uh, in Hostage Square, listening to some of the speeches by some of the family members who are who are organizing against family members of the hostages. And not all family members of the hostages agree with some of these very politicized protests. But if, if you were there with me, you would hear speeches, in, you know, in Hebrew, with, um, where it, they never mention Hamas, they only mention Netanyahu, and they speak of him as if he kidnapped the, the hostages and he's hiding them in his basement. Um, but that's not a majority view. That's not any, anything close to majority view. We know that Joe Biden has been trying to topple Benjamin Netanyahu since he won the last election here in November 2022. That is his objective. This is, you know, all the Obama alumni who work in this administration still hold grudges from the Iran nuclear deal and long, but you know, some of them still hold grudges from the Clinton administration. Uh, they're out to get him. Certainly Netanyahu's political position is, shall we say, parlous because of, you know, October 7th happened on his watch. I mean, the military and security establishment bears primary responsibility, but he was, he's the prime minister and there will be accountability for him. But there is no real support for a change in government, a political upheaval while the war is going on. Israel's country at war. You walk around here and yes, it's, it's you know, business as usual, life goes on. But there are hundreds of thousands of young men who are not at their jobs. They're serving in, as reserve duty. The army is at war. Um, and um, it's a little bit, I guess, what like our parents or grandparents' generation went through in World War II in the home front. There are people, you know, it's life is normal, but people are missing. And, you know, well, it affects every the once in a while. You can't, I... get, you can't get deliveries because there are just not enough people working. Right. So, but every once in a while, Jonathan, I think it's the case that you're also getting incoming from Gaza, uh, from the uh, yeah, Hamas less types. and less as the IDF closes in on Hamas's stronghold. But Israelis are getting incoming from the north. Hezbollah is firing over the border every day, including anti-tank missile missiles that can't be knocked down by Iron Dome, aimed at people in the northern communities. And let me just give our our, our, our viewers something very important that they're not seeing in the, in the mainstream media. If you're in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, or some of the other part, countries, you know, cities in central Israel, you go into most hotels except the high-end ones, you see all these families. There are hundreds of thousands of refugees in this country, Jewish refugees, who've been forced to flee their homes in southern Israel, as well as maybe up to 70,000 who forced to leave their homes in northern Israel, because Hezbollah keeps shooting into the, the communities that are right at the border there. So this is a this is not business as usual. Though and those refugees can't go home until this war is over, until Hamas is eliminated, and then the threat from Hezbollah is either neutralized or somehow resolved in some other way. Yeah. 
displaced persons, in short, are not yeah, I mean, you exclusively in, in Gaza. There but we hear a lot about Palestinian refugees. There yeah. are a lot of Jewish refugees yeah. here, too. Um, speaking of those uh, displaced persons in Gaza, we're hearing a lot about uh, how they've been concentrated in the last city, basically, that has uh, yet to be taken by the Israelis, Rafah. Um, there's uh, a certain you know, uh, imperative felt by those who are trying to get a ceasefire to prevent Israel from going into Rafa. What are your thoughts, sir, about whether that's likely to happen? Uh, and is, if so, how yeah. is Israel going to contend with all of these uh, civilians that are now concentrated in that area? The civilians who are in Rafa, over a million, that's that's a logistical problem. They have to be allowed to go to some areas in central Gaza, um, not in the you know, ruined urban areas, but some open areas um, near the coast where facilities can be set up for them. Um, and, you know, the question is, will Hamas let them go there? Or do they want to keep them there so that they can be hurt and be used as human shields? The Egyptians don't want them. The Egyptians have sealed the border. They will not allow any refugees. You know, anybody fleeing anything that happens in Africa can go into Egypt. They won't allow the Palestinians because they're scared to death of them. Blaming Israel, but they're scared. The Egyptians are scared to death of them. Yeah. But well, me, the United States is not allowing the people out either. Rafa. Israel is going into Rafah sooner or later. Hamas's last stronghold will be taken because if it isn't, then Hamas emerges from this war as the victor. And that is unacceptable for Israelis from left to right. They know if that happens, um, it's just a guarantee of more October 7th massacres. And it, it should be unacceptable to our country as well. Yes, it should be it. unacceptable to all civilized people. Yeah. Jonathan, um, one other piece of this that, uh, of course, is uh, insistent demand of the Biden team is that uh, the end state uh, will be a two so-called two-state solution. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. It seems to me that a two-state model was... Hamas controlled Gaza. Yeah, exactly. And that right. did not work out so well. Is there any reason to believe you'd have a different result if people who participated in this and certainly support October 7th and uh, the Palestinian Authority, so-called, uh, running things, uh, if that could, in fact, be engineered? That's a Biden fantasy. Number one, the Palestinians don't want an independent Palestinian state per se, because, uh, and one that would be recognized by the world because it would be obligated to live in peace with the Israelis. That, so that's not happening. Um, Israelis will not accept a situation where, again, as you say, there was a Palest an independent Palestinian state in all but name in Gaza, um, which was a terrorist stronghold. That will not happen again. Israelis tried to live with it. There was a political consensus on left and right saying, well, we have to live with it. Well, we saw what happened on October 7th what living with that Palestinian state meant. Replic you know, that won't happen again in Gaza, but the idea that Biden has of replicating it in the far larger West Bank, Judea and Samaria, um, which, would indate, which would turn the entire country into the Gaza envelope and vulnerable to terrorist attacks. That is, that is you know, most the overwhelming majority of Israelis, I mean, really, nobody really just, you know, they don't think that's ill-advised. They think that's insane, and they will well, not go along with it. And they're right, and they should not, needless to say. Last 20 seconds, um, are we looking at the prospect that you will face a similar kind of uh, security crisis in the so-called West Bank, Judea and Samaria? Well, so far, Hamas has not been able to start an insurrection there. Um, the Israeli forces, because they have freedom of action there, have stopped it. Actually, the Palestinian Authority is afraid, you know, if, if, if it weren't for Israeli security forces, Hamas would have already toppled Fatah and the Palestinian yeah, Authority. Mahmoud Abbas so, would be gone. So that's not happening. Jonathan, uh, this is an optimistic note on which to end, I think. God bless you and the work you do at JNS.org and so many other places. Come back to us with further updates soon, if you will. Thanks so much, Frank, and thank we'll you for We'll be right back with George Raisley right after this.
This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Retired Special Operator and Army Colonel John Mills is among the latest to warn that military-aged unaccompanied Chinese males pouring across our borders are People's Liberation Army personnel. According to Butler County, Ohio Sheriff Richard Jones, the National Sheriff's Association meeting last week featured briefings indicating they're coming here to sow chaos. His conclusion is that, quote, we're under attack, unquote. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is facilitating the entry of more Chinese men into our country, and the U.S. Senate is refusing to join the House of Representatives in actually securing our border. With some Republican support, the Senate's Democrats are intent on pouring $60 billion more into Ukraine, while ignoring the fact that our own nation is literally being invaded. Those responsible for such malfeasance will ultimately be held accountable. But how many of us will pay with our lives before that happens? This is Frank Avenue. Welcome back, and a very special welcome to our next guest, one of our favorites. He is our duty genius, as a matter of fact, a Mensa uh, member who is wickedly smart, especially about things in the mondo politico, as they call it, the political world, having been involved with some 300 campaigns from the presidential level on down. His name is George Raceley. These days, he is the editor-in-chief of a wonderful online resource, Richard Vigory's Conservative HQ. And we're always delighted to be able to catch up with him and pick that considerable brain of his on matters involving um, the national interest as well as the national security. George, welcome back, sir. Thank you for that build-up, Frank. I'll try and live up to it. You always do, (laughs) unfailingly. So, George, I wanted to start by asking you about Robert Herr's report. This was the special prosecutor who looked into uh, the evidence that Joe Biden seems to have uh, made off with some quantity of classified information uh, and not stored it responsibly, uh, and in fact, actually disseminated it, according to uh, this uh, council's report. What what do you make of it and the response uh, to it from uh, Joe Biden, among others? Well, I... I thought one of the more interesting aspects of it was somewhat buried in the story, uh, which is that Biden apparently made off with a lot of material from when he was a senator, which would have had to have been stolen from the skiff in the Senate, Uh, meaning that he did not inadvertently take this stuff and you know, it wasn't like there was a big pile of papers in the office and some uh, intern scooped it up and threw it in a box. He intentionally took it out of the secure area and kept it for years in his garage or in a closet in an unsecured office. Yeah. I, I You know, there's some of those offices that he shared, thanks to his son, Hunter with Chinese intelligence officers. I'm yeah. not sure whether this dot has been connected just yet, but it's of concern. Mm-hmm. And yet, George, we're told um, there shouldn't be any uh, prosecution of Joe Biden, that he's just a, a, a sweet old man with a bad memory. Um, what are we to make of that, especially in contrast with uh, how another elderly gentleman, uh, Donald Trump, is being handled by the federal government at the moment? Well, I mean, the, the whole notion that Biden is a just a, a sweet old, uh, you know, lunch bucket Joe uh, and in his happy declining years is a lot of nonsense. I mean, Biden is a serial liar, uh, a scoundrel, a plagiarist, a corrupt, as corrupt as you can get in Washington. Yeah. Well, that's saying uh, and, something. And has been for years. I mean, this is not new stuff. And uh, somehow the media has just given him a pass on all of this. 
whereas the record is is very clear as as I documented in a in a story uh, or article that I put up recently, and a lot of that material was based on some great reporting in 2020 by Jonathan Leaf. So, I mean, this and this can be found news. at conservativehq.com. Yeah, yeah, and it. it it, you know, this isn't just me saying it as a as a partisan. It's it is established fact, and it used to get reported uh, by the establishment media. But you know, now Orange Man bad, so you know Biden can do so, no wrong, and and Trump doing arguably much less, and certainly more easily defended is now facing, uh, you know, years and years in jail and a very expensive trial to try and prove himself innocent. Well, in, in fact, um, Mike Davis is uh, is on the record on innumerable occasions pointing out that the, the president of the United States actually has the authority to take classified documents and declassify them and yeah. hold them and uh, and hold them as he apparently was doing in a, a safe repository at Mar-a-Lago. Um, it, it's just stunning that um, there is this further evidence that there's a double standard and the rule of law is no more, a, you know, sort of equal justice under the law at the very yeah. least. Yeah. Um, George, to this point, um, do you anticipate uh, that uh, President Trump will get a fair trial in this proceeding uh, over his uh, handling of classified information? Well, he certainly won't get a fair trial in any forum in the District of Columbia. I believe the uh, proceedings in Judge Cannon's court in Florida are going, I think, as far as I can tell from reading the media reports, uh, fairly and appropriately, and that uh, the president is getting uh, all his arguments heard before the judge in a unbiased uh, and open manner. And so I think there's a good chance that Trump is going to beat uh, the charges in Florida. Sim well, first of all, because they're entirely specious, as you pointed out, he has the, the right to hold those documents. And secondly, um, the judge and the potential Florida jury are not uh, the same as judges in D.C. and a potential jury pool there. Yeah, to say nothing of New York and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. Fulton County, Georgia as well. Yeah. Um, let me turn to uh, another topic that you've addressed recently, and we'll probably have to uh, take the full answer on the other side of it. But um, uh, Tucker Carlson has come in for a lot of criticism over his interview with uh, Vladimir Putin um, for having the interview in the first place, I guess, and in his conduct in the course of the interview. Um, as a accomplished uh, man with uh, journalistic experience, as well as with, of course, political experience, what is your take, George? Well, I think that it's... Uh total hypocrisy on the part of the established media to criticize Tucker for interviewing Putin when, you know, Barbara Walters, George Stephanopoulos, plenty of other establishment media figures have interviewed Putin. I mean, and these are the same outlets that, you know, made Hitler man of the year back in the 30s. <laughs> so uh, the hypocrisy is astonishing uh, to me. But, you know, there's a lot to unpack from from that interview uh, and I think Tucker could have done a more probing interview had he had more information to work with. Mm, there's an interesting thought. George, uh, we have to take a break. When we come back, I want to get back um, to uh, the domestic political scene a bit with you, uh, particularly the House of Representatives and its leadership. We'll be right back with George Racy on that and more. Stay tuned. back with my good friend and valued colleague, the great George Raceley, the <laughs> editor-in-chief of 
really important online resource, Conservative HQ. And George, I want to tap your uh, considerable expertise, having served in the House of Representatives, as well as a lot of other roles in Washington, including with the Vice President of the United States, mm -hmm. to assess the prospects that the Republicans um, will continue to control the House of Representatives, uh, not just after the election this fall, but perhaps in the run-up to it. Uh, it's yeah. a near-run thing at the moment. And uh, as we speak, George Santos's replacement is being selected, and that may reduce the margin even further. Uh, what book are you making on the Republicans staying in charge? And do they deserve to? Well, <laughs> yeah, good, good question on that. You know, I am I'm modestly optimistic that uh, the Republicans will prevail in the special in New York. They've got a great candidate there, and uh, she has been hitting all the right notes. And the Democrats have been doing their best to help her by giving away millions of taxpayer dollars to illegal aliens and letting them run wild in Times Square. So that's all to the good. The problem is that at the national level, there is a, a ideological schizophrenia in the Republican Party. And um, Speaker Johnson, uh, whom I think is a good guy and, you know, is trying, is not able to impose the kind of conservative message discipline and, poli and policy discipline on the House that would engender a landslide election in the in the fall, and um, you know every time he compromises with the squishes, uh, he loses another thousand votes for some Republican out in uh, you know the Midwest or uh, some other place where you know conservative policy matters. Right. It it seems it's not just you know, uh, uh, doing the bidding of the squishes, it's uh, it's making common cause with the Democrats. And that's even yeah. more offensive, I suspect, to most uh, Republican-based voters at this point. Well, yeah, the, uh, the, the big problem in that regard is in the Senate, of course, where, you know, Mitch McConnell is, in essence, the uh, deputy majority leader for the Democrats. Uh, and you know, there's an old joke uh, about some House leader in the past saying that the opposition party wasn't the enemy, the Senate was the enemy. And in Johnson's, in Johnson's case, uh, the Senate is clearly putting him in a tough position. And uh, so, again, with, he's, with the help of the minority leader. Exactly. And uh, so, you know, the question for him is, is he going to be confrontational, fight, um, hold the line on some of these big issues, uh, or is he going to try and somehow, you know, split the baby and uh, avoid any big confrontations between now and the election? Personally, having run some congressional campaigns, winning ones, I might add, um, the confrontation is much better than trying to split the baby. You got to give your members something to run on. And what the grassroots want is fights on these big issues like the border. Like the border in particular. Yeah. George, uh, let me ask you a, a sort of inside baseball question. Uh, Eric Holder, the former attorney general of the United States, has been beavering away for some time mm -hmm. in a somewhat low profile effort to um, affect redistricting of uh, the state maps of a lot of states in which there are minority populations to ensure mm -hmm. that they're more uh, represented than they are currently. Um, there have been a number of court rulings in those states that have um, created new districts in which the minority seems likely to be, you know, uh, able to take seats from Republicans. Uh, how is this playing out, do you think, in terms of uh, the kind of numbers problem that Mike Johnson is looking at? Well, it's, it is a big problem. And one of those states uh, where, the, where 
holder affiliates are uh, doing that is my home state of Florida. Um, we picked up five Republican seats there, and uh, a couple of those are in jeopardy if the districts are thrown out. So when you only have... This was a, a redistricting map that was uh, adopted by the governor and then by the legislature. Yeah, it was advocated by the governor uh, and passed by the legislature. Uh, I think a lot of these uh, lawfare actions are completely specious, but uh, liberal judges uh, have uh, had a long history in this regard of undoing the will of the legislatures. And um, at some point, some of this stuff is going to have to work its way up to the Supreme Court because uh, you can't have one appointed, unelected judge uh, in some, you know, obscure district in some obscure state setting precedents that throw out all of the congressional districts that legislatures have set all over the country. Well, it's it's going to be a very interesting thing because as best I can tell, the Supreme Court has not been all that friendly to the Republican no, they position on this issue. So uh, if it does elevate to that level, I'm not sure that this will uh, be a saving grace. It comes down to, I guess, uh, there has to be a large turnout. And I guess, George, I, my question to you is, uh, is the speaker and the Republican majority um, done much to deserve a, <laughs> well, uh, a new majority, a new mandate, let alone yeah, a sweeping every, one? No, every time you flake out on uh, the big issues like the border, uh, you depress turnout. And, uh, and even if it's the Senate that's doing that rather than the the House, uh, yeah. it, it's, it blows back on him. It does. Uh, George, we are out of time. Before we are out of topics, I wanted to ask you about uh, the Chinese invasion of our southern border. Speaking of uh, that particular uh, very large issue, as you say, but mm -hmm. that'll be for another day. In the meantime, thank you for your great expertise and your superb work at conservativehq.org. I know you'll keep it up. And I hope you'll come back to us again soon. I'll I hope the rest to. of you will do the same next time. Until then, go forth and multiply.